station. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. You can always follow me there. As I say every night, I'm blessed beyond all measure, reasonable and unreasonable, unearned and undeserved favor to just go around. Just boggles my mind, and I hope you recognize that you are as well. Last night, I talked a lot about Rick Barnes. This morning on Fox Sports Radio, I talked a lot about Rick Barnes with Jeff Schwartz, uh, who was my co-host as I was filling in for Clay Travis on Outkick to Coverage. And he had Ben Bolch on his Pac-12 show out on the West Coast last night. And Ben Bolch is the writer of the LA Times article that casts a different story about the Rick Barnes to UCLA narrative where Rick Barnes came out a couple of weeks ago and said they wouldn't pay the buyout, so I decided to stay. That had upset some Tennessee fans already. This much we know. And so there are varying opinions here. I think there are varying opinions in this building because the way I framed it last night gave credence to the story. Although I did tell you that it's fluid, it's a report until it's confirmed or otherwise, you have to believe whatever version you want to believe. I know that the Midday 180 went in a different direction and said that this was a lot of saving face for UCLA. And Joe Rexroad, who I like a lot and have a tremendous amount of respect for, wrote a piece for the Tennessean today about this situation as well called Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes has been called a liar by an unnamed coward. So we know where Joe Rexroad is on this, and I'm going to use his article to talk here as well. What Ben Bolch had that Jeff mentioned to me was text messages, photos of text messages from the associate athletic director at UCLA that he had sent out to various alumni and boosters and things like that trying to explain what was going on in this situation and that there was a paper trail that backs up the version of events that is in the LA Times article as it relates to Rick Barnes. One thing Joe Rexroad mentions in his piece well, it's not one thing in terms of one sentence, but it's one of the one of kind of the cruxes of his argument, and it definitely bears mentioning, is that this was a joke of a coaching search the way UCLA played it out. The reason this article is so fascinating is because it looks like a clown show. And we know full well what a clown show coaching search can look like when we think of John Curry and we think of Greg Schiano and we think of Dan Wolken, and we think of everything, the Jeff Brom deal, and, and just everything that went into the just fracas and calamity that was the Tennessee football coaching search that led to Jeremy Pruitt getting that job in the offseason last year. We know what this looks like. At UCLA, they have a proud tradition, but a not, a, not a recent tradition. I kind of compared them a lot to Nebraska football. Maybe to Notre Dame football before they really started winning again. Like after the lull when Lou Holtz left and they just weren't doing anything. Then they got Weiss and they got Willingham. They started to win a little bit. But they still underwhelmed. And then Brian Kelly showed up 
and they made a couple of college football playoffs, got ousted, but they started winning a lot of games again. Nebraska, to me, is a better example. Nebraska is a school that has not had anything to speak of regarding a legacy that the athletes that they're recruiting now would know anything about. Their parents would have to tell them about it, and I don't know whether or not they would care. That's why I thought this was going to be tough for Scott Frost, and we'd see how good a football coach he was, because you are recruiting people to go play in the state of Nebraska, which means they have to live in the state of Nebraska while they're going to school, as opposed to going to a USC or a Florida state or a Florida or places that have more tradition already, like in Alabama or in Ohio State. It's not like Columbus is a great place to live necessarily on the list of destination cities, but Ohio State's won a whole lot of games and their legacy is recent, and everybody that's being recruited there knows how much they've won and they grew up watching them. We didn't grow up watching. If you're an 18-year-old athlete coming out of high school, you didn't necessarily watch Nebraska dominant. Tommy Frazier didn't play during their lifetime, just as one example. And UCLA is similar. They've won one championship since 75. They won in 95 with Jim Herrick, with Tyus Edney, and Toby Bailey, and Charles and Ed O'Bannon. And that team was loaded, but there was a cloud of suspicion around that. Then they went to three Final Fours with that Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook crew, but they didn't win a championship under Ben Howland. So they are seeking, and they are searching, and they still believe that they have a tremendous amount of importance. I remember because I lived in South Carolina for such a long period of time, that Clemson fans seem so unreasonable. This is before Dabo got there. This is the Tommy Bowden era. They felt like Danny Ford had just won a championship like a year before. That's how they acted. They felt like they should be in the discussion and should be in the championship game every year. They should be at a BCS Bowl at that point in time before the college football playoff came back around. So the expectations were outsourced compared to what you could reasonably do at the time. Now sometimes you do find a unicorn, and that's what they found in Dabo who was maligned as a hire by the likes of Pat Forty and a bunch of other people who, look, for a little while they seemed to be right. And then Dabo turned it around, and now Dabo is the man, basically, in college football alongside with Nick Saban. But to Rick Barnes and this situation, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought that's the kind of guy that you would want because you could believe him. You could buy into the integrity of Rick Barnes Because this was not a story that framed him in a good light, so why would he say this out loud? Why would he say, I would have gone, I thought I was going to be the head coach of this football team, but for the fact that UCLA wouldn't pay my buyout, and that seemed like a sign from God that I needed to stay in Knoxville. That's not something that made him look great to Tennessee fans. Some Vols fans were hopping mad about it. They were furious about it. They thought it indicated a guy that didn't really want to be here, and a guy that probably any time a coaching search in a major place opened up, they would be afraid he was going to leave. That he already had one foot out the door or he had his bags packed. And that's the problem with this story because there are two versions here. Rick Barnes stood up and said his part. And this is what Rex Road said in his piece. And I'm trying to kind of think it through on both sides. I've told you before, I have no problem coming on the air and saying I'm wrong or saying that I've thought deeply and I've come to a different conclusion or begun to have a different conclusion. What Joe says in his article is right in terms of Rick Barnes and in terms of the fact that he did stand there and put his name behind something that did not necessarily paint him in a good light. And this article talks about unnamed sources. It talks about two sources close to the talks. 
That's what Ben Bolch says. And I'm trying, actually. I'm working with Jeff. I may have Ben Bolch on the show tomorrow. That's my hope. And then I can ask him some of these questions directly. Now, there's no way he would have gotten the access that he would have gotten if he had named the sources because the sources obviously didn't want to be named. But I have lamented before the unnamed source argument as it related the story that I talked about in the past was the Carson Wentz, the unnamed guys inside the Eagles locker room that didn't care for Carson Wentz and thought he was a spoiled brat and he was entitled and that they liked Nick Foles better and that's why they were better when Nick Foles was in the game. It was something that just crushed Carson Wentz and there was nobody that put their name behind it. And so that bothered me. And I wondered what, you know, how you handle that in the media when it is unnamed sources or how you should handle it. I know how it is handled. But you can't get a lot of sensitive information on the record from people that are going to put their name behind it. And right now, UCLA has no reason to put their name behind it. The reason that I framed it the way that I did yesterday, going against, I think, some people on this radio station and going against what I think Joe Rexrode said in his piece uh, that I quoted from a minute ago, is that the end of Rexrode's article says that he expects that the response from Knoxville is that Barnes is going to refute this. And this is what he says. So believe what you want and know this. Barnes declined an interview through a spokesman this week even before the Times story published. A UT spokesman declined comment on Wednesday. If you remember, I said that last night. But Barnes is going to have to address this again at some point. I'll bet he refutes the story. I mean, maybe so. But this is my thing. And maybe you're trying to craft a response or maybe you just don't want to dignify this yet. But if I do something like this, that really makes me feel, makes it look like I was trying to get out of Knoxville, I would shout from the mountaintops that this wasn't true as fast as possible, or I would have somebody inside the university do it. And I mean already, yesterday, I would have had this. You don't have to go into any great detail. Eventually, maybe you do. You have to take some questions about it. But I would have immediately said, that's just flat out not true. Because we've seen that before, and that doesn't necessarily make it untrue either. But why are you delaying a response? This is just me. If I know something is not true about me, if I know I did not do what is in print about me, I'm going to say something about that as fast as possible. Now, you might have to talk to a couple of other layers in the athletic department and make sure... But I don't think that it takes this long to craft a statement. I don't think that it would take all day yesterday for them just to come out and say, uh, we respect Mr. Bolts and we respect the Los Angeles Times, but the sources in this story are putting forth false information. These things are untrue. You would have said something, right? And there was no comment, nothing. So the only thing that the national media has been able to do this week, whether it's Kornheiser and Wilbon on PTI or other places, is ESPN's kind of been the one that's been leading the charge. They haven't had any reason not to go with this story. So I had people DMing me last night saying, why do you believe the media over Rick Barnes? Well, right now, I said what I said about Rick Barnes a couple of weeks ago and said, okay, this is the kind of guy you want. Honesty doesn't just work when you agree with it. If you believe in honesty and you value honesty, it's the same thing as valuing free speech. If they say something you don't like, you should defend that to the death as well. Or you don't really believe in free speech. But in this case, he said that, and I agreed with him at the time, and now this article comes out, and there's no one saying it's not true. The same thing as Aaron Rodgers when he came back out and talked about the Bleacher Report piece 
that buried him and buried McCarthy and the Packers' toxic environment. He didn't say the stuff in that article wasn't true. He said, this, this guy has an axe to grind. This guy's apparently got an agenda, and he's trying to make a name for himself and all this kind of stuff, but he didn't say the stuff in the article wasn't true. And I thought that that rang true to me as, okay, so he's probably, he's probably a jerk. And I think we already knew that about Aaron Rodgers. The fact that nothing came out yesterday saying from Tennessee in any respect saying that this article was false. That's where I have my problems. And I looked it up and I was just like, maybe I missed it. And so I went through and I Google searched and I did a news item. What happened in the last 24 hours? It's just the story. And Tennessee declining comment on Wednesday. I just feel like this is one where they would have commented or should have commented. And I don't think that they did themselves any service by sitting on this for an entire day and letting the national media take this and run wild with it. I joked about this this morning on Fox Sports Radio. You may have heard it in the first hour before the wake-up zone. There was a brilliant sitcom that was old-style called The Carmichael Show that didn't make it on NBC but made it three seasons. You could still stream it. You can find it. and It's really good. And it tackled incredibly difficult issues, taboo issues that you wouldn't expect and you kind of want to run from. And it tackled them with opinions on all sides. And you could find a way to get angry, or you could find a way to listen to all of the arguments being presented. But one of the most brilliant comments that was made on that show, I love this comment. It's right up there with social media is not mandatory, which as you know is my mantra. This one was, no one has ever become less opinionated because of the internet. The fact that Tennessee was mum yesterday allowed this story to run wild and allowed a bunch of opinions that are not particularly educated to make their stances. I think Rexrow gets it right when he says, so believe what you want. I, well, what I want to believe is that what Rick Barnes said is absolutely true. Not because that I defended him originally, but because I believe that the integrity of Rick Barnes and the way he chooses to live his life that this would hurt him, that this would be a blemish on him that I don't think that he would want on his record. Everybody likes Rick Barnes. He's known as a gentleman. He's known as as someone you want to play for, someone you'd want your kids to go play for. And I don't think that even if this turned out to go against him, that that would necessarily change. It's just a bad moment for him. It's a It could be a bad moment for him. So there's a lot of kind of smoke here, and I'm not saying that there's fire behind it. I'm saying there's smoke in front of our eyes it's not transparent in front of us. We're not exactly sure what's going on, so we have to believe one thing or the other. What I'm unwilling to do is say that Ben Bolch and the LA Times had anything um, here but whatever motivations to write a fascinating article about a debacle of a coaching search. UCLA may have had a reason to try to paint themselves in a better light after the debacle that was the coaching search. But it is these text messages and things that Jeff mentioned to me this morning that I just want to see Tennessee come out and full-throated say this ain't true. And I want Rick Barnes to come out and say this ain't true. And until he does, I have to treat this story as if there is some validity behind it. The LA Times is not exactly a rag in this country. And Ben Bolch has been the writer for UCLA, the beat writer, for 17 years. He has a lot to lose here. And I don't necessarily think even that UCLA 
in this case, it's not like Ben Bolch is carrying water for them. I just don't really know. So Joe Rexroad says, so believe what you want. I'm going to choose to believe nothing right now. What I laid out yesterday, I'm going to stand behind. Based on the evidence I have at the time and the article and the fact that it had not been refuted, that's where I was. Today, I'm just trying to see it from a different perspective. I'm trying to read it from Rex Rose's perspective. I'm trying to hear it from Withrow and Kaharski's perspective yesterday on the Midday 180 as well. That's what we should do. Hopefully, we'll actually get an answer to this. Right now, we don't have one. Why would ESPN not run with this? We'll be right back. Big 6, 104.5. Come. Get the latest news on area prep action. High School Sports Saturday with Tate Matthews. Brought to you by Body Armor Sports Drink. Saturday mornings at 8 on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Coming up next segment, we'll give you a chance to win an entry to the Titans 5K coming up at Nissan Stadium on May the 11th. I might actually be running in that thing myself. That'll be coming up, uh, so stick around with us for that. We spoke a lot there in that first segment about Rick Barnes, and we'll see where this story goes. My argument remains that I really would have liked to have heard something yesterday, and they allowed this story for a couple of days to go completely opposite of Rick Barnes without anyone defending anything. You can just go back to what he said a few weeks ago and say, well, that's what he said. And some people tweeted me and said, well, why don't you believe Rick Barnes? Why do you believe the media? I, I don't necessarily believe either one. I, I gave Rick Barnes the benefit of the doubt, and I'm giving this article the benefit of the doubt until I hear something otherwise. Or at least just, hey, this ain't true. Just something. I just wish that there seemed to be more of a defense against this other than, well, we said this a couple of weeks ago, or that's what your arguments are, the ones that are coming to me. I don't know the truth. I do think that Rick Barnes tried to leverage more money out of UCLA. I don't think there's any question about that. Another argument that somebody made to me was, well, this is really good, honestly, for Tennessee because it means this is what Rick Barnes needed to actually leave Knoxville that he was going to ask for everything in the world or he wasn't going to leave Knoxville. Yeah, I guess you can make that argument. If this story is true, and I'm still saying if, and I framed it that way yesterday, but I'm framing it more that way here. If the story is true, he took the deal. They offered the buyout. He said, great. Then his agent said, actually, we want more money. UCLA said, no, they're a state school without all of that much you know, in the coffers to offer. And then they came back and tried to get the original deal, meaning Barnes and his agent. So that's more like, ah, oh, we're just kidding, man. We'll take that first deal, though. And then they moved on. It's been a disaster for UCLA, however you want to look at it. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it. That's all I know to say. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for Joe Rexroad. I appreciate what he wrote. I don't know that we agree necessarily 100% on this issue, but we can't because we don't have the facts. So all we can do is back whatever verse we want to buy into in this case. And I guess I'm trying to give credence to both, and it's almost impossible to do that. I can understand the argument that UCLA was trying to do some safe face. I also think that Ben Bolch does a really good job. And the people that I talked to this morning and the people that have talked to him, and maybe we'll have him on the show tomorrow to kind of tackle a couple of these questions, I think Ben Bolch did a really good story here. But 
the unnamed sources thing can become a problem because it can easily be something that you can pick and choose and pick your way through if you want to try and cast aspersions on the validity of a certain opinion set. Story that came out yesterday from Adam Schefter. The Titans not looking like they're going to pick up the fifth-year option for right tackle Jack Conklin. That refutes a report that we all laughed at last week from Pro Pro Football Talk, which said that it was a given that they were going to pick up the fifth-year option. And everyone that's watched this football team and covered this football team thought that was insane to think that it was like a lock. I think that was the terminology. It's a lock that the Titans are going to pick up the fifth-year option on Jack Conklin. Well, we saw Nate Davis in the draft from Charlotte. Roger Saffold comes over. But the bigger problem is Jack Conklin has been hurt so bad. He tore his ACL and divisional loss to the Patriots in 2018. And he hasn't been the same player since he came back. I'm not sure he should have come back this past season or certainly not as fast as he did. If you don't have the footwork and you don't have the confidence in your lower body, you're not going to be effective on the offensive line. And he hasn't been the same. And the problem is, if you're not on the field, then you're not worth much of anything. And he was the number 8 pick back in 2016. He was a first-team All-Pro that year. And Jeff Schwartz, who was on with me this morning on Outkick the Coverage, and was an 8-year NFL offensive lineman in his own right, and his brother is probably the best at his position in the NFL right now for the Kansas City Chiefs at that same position, that right tackle position. Jeff always said that he felt like Conklin was overrated from the very beginning, that he was getting a lot of help that people were not crediting that allowed him to do what he did in his good season with the Titans, and that what we've seen since is more what he expected from Jack Conklin when Conklin was drafted. Now, because of the injury, it's hard to say whether or not that's true or not, but when you come back from injury, sometimes you're just not the same player, and he has not been to this point. Also, hurting him was the fact that when Dennis Kelly came in, when Conklin was out, the Undertaker played pretty well. NFL Next Gen stats Conklin's pass block win rate last season was 82%. That's 1% above the average for tackles last year. But the fact that he has been injured multiple times, the ACL, he missed the first three games of last year, and he just has not been able to stay on the field. He's got a $12.8 million price tag per various articles and per his contract. So picking up the fifth-year option just seems awfully treacherous in this case. The offensive line, obviously, you know, you've got Taylor Lewan and you move away from Josh Klein, which is a blessing, I think, based on what we saw from him last year. Saffold's an upgrade. We'll see what Nate's able to do when he's able to get on the field. But that's a guy that I think can start in the NFL and could probably be really good. Heard Rep Brian when he was on with me on Monday say one of the comparisons as a person at least for the newest offensive lineman for the Titans is Carl Klug. And if you know Carl Klug at all or if you followed his career, he's about as classy as they come. I will say this, doesn't matter how classy he is if he can't block anybody. But based on the way Charlotte was able to move the ball, their offensive line enabled them to run the ball, which is what they did most effectively last year, and they were able to do it against virtually everybody they played against. That's, to me, that says a lot of really good things about what he might be able to do because he was under adversity and at times was playing against talent that was far superior on paper, and he was still able to create space for his backs to get you know 200 yards a game.
And they were even able to run it early against Tennessee when they played them in Knoxville. I am not surprised by this Conklin story in the least. Maybe you are. You can tweet me at jmartzone if you have differing thoughts on that. But Conklin not having his fifth-year option means that he becomes a free agent in 2020. Now, they can do whatever it is that they're going to need to do if he ends up playing all-world football and coming back and being the guy that he was in the first season that I'm not sure... I'm not saying it was a full mirage, but I think maybe it was a partial mirage. But the Conklin story is one that makes sense from a Titans perspective right now. And you've got Marcus in a year where it's put up or shut up time for him. And I feel like... And I've heard this discussion, and I've had this discussion. The reason I've told you I'm on record, and I'll be fine to be proven wrong, because he's a great dude. But I've said that Marcus Mariota is not the guy, because we already know all we need to know about Marcus Mariota, which is we don't know enough. And at this stage in his career, that's inexcusable, really. Like, you can't can't back number eight when we have this much, and we're still asking the same question as to whether or not he's the guy. It isn't like he is a rookie going into his second year. He's dealt with a lot of changeover, coordinators moving on, inconsistency at the skill positions, but they've tried to surround him with guys year after year after year. And the one thing that those guys have not been able to do is keep him healthy. I'm not calling him injury prone, not calling him soft. I'm just saying that he's been unlucky. If he gets through 16 games this year and plays as good as maybe he's capable of playing, then this becomes a mum argument. And I might, my head still tells me I think they're probably going to pay this guy. I would not do it. But these are the two question marks. Probably the biggest two question marks on this roster right now are Jack Conklin and Marcus Mariota. And based on Schefter and the other reports, the Conklin decision may have already been made, at least in the short term. They're not betting on him today. That is a prudent decision. Because why would you? He will have this year to prove us wrong, or to prove them wrong, or to prove his worth as a member of this football team. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5. We still have room under the cap, so we're giving you free money every weekday on the $1,000 payoff. You're shot at one grand four times every weekday at 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m., and 5 p.m. All you have to do is listen for the national keyword, then text it to 95819 to win. Don't text and drive, but do text to win. Rules and details at 1045thezone.com. The $1,000 payoff on 1045thezone. Welcome back, Big Six, here on 104.5 The Zone. On a Thursday in the Music City, we're brought to you by Renner's Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renner's Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. I am Jason Martin, host of this fine program. I am on Twitter at jmartzone. I'll also be on Outkick the Coverage tomorrow morning, hosting with Jonas Knox. I was in with Jeff Schwartz this morning. I'll be on Wednesday as Clay is in London. And the Jason Martin Show on Fox Sports Radio Sunday mornings. You can hear the first two hours of that show live right here on 104.5 The Zone from 2 to 4 a.m. So, well, you know what? we got to do a giveaway here. Titans 5K coming up. Nissan Stadium, May the 11th for a good cause. And we're going to give you an opportunity to get yourself an entry into this fine event that's going to end on the 50-yard line of Nissan Stadium as you kind of 
run around Nissan Stadium. And I did a 5K a couple of months ago. I did a 6K last month with my girlfriend, and maybe we'll be doing this one as well. So, fifth caller for the 5K. Does that make sense? Call us right now at 615-737-ZONE. That is 0663. That's not the normal call-in line. 737-ZONE. 0663. Fifth caller will get you into the Titans 5K coming up on May the 11th at Nissan Stadium. We just talked about a 5K. How about the number six pick in the draft, Daniel Jones? Somebody, something we have not really discussed on this show. There's been so much going on. We talked about the draft. We talked about Nashville. We talked about Dwayne Haskins and Joe Theismann last night. Josh Rosen, who may come up in this discussion again, because what I said last night, I back, which is I think Josh Rosen can play. I think he's going to be able to play for the Miami Dolphins. I think he got a bum rap in Arizona like he was some kind of a bust all of a sudden when it was him versus Sam Darnold for much of the pre-draft discussion last year. He goes to a terrible situation, and now all of a sudden he is a bum and nobody wants him. So he goes to Miami, and I said, well, how many quarterbacks would you want over him that got drafted in this class if he was part of this class? Kyler Murray, if Arizona doesn't take him, does he even go in the top ten? Maybe not. This was a this coach wanted this player in Cliff Kingsbury, and they allowed him to make that decision. A lot of other guys probably not. He wasn't going to be a giant, for example. The Giants take Daniel Jones in the ACC. The talk for the last couple of years, outside of like a Trevor Lawrence, has generally been about Ryan Finley, who underperformed and underwhelmed at NC State, and now all of a sudden here comes Daniel Jones because David Cutcliffe is attached to him. So you want him, and Dave Gettleman comes out and says that he was full bloom in love with Daniel Jones because he watched him for three series in the Senior Bowl. That is an exhibition game. And he decided he was going to take the number 6 draft pick and take this guy. If you love him, I guess you have to take him. But it seemed like to me, and this was the discussion that we had this morning on Outkick the Coverage, which you may have heard before the wake-up zone. It seems like to me that you take a Daniel Jones in this case because he does not threaten Eli Manning initially. And no fans are going to be clamoring to get him in the ball game as they would just about any other six pick. Dwayne Haskins, Eli has a bad couple of games, you want Dwayne Haskins in there. I don't think they're going to be just, please put Daniel Jones in the game. Not in the same way, at least. Because the reaction to the pick was flatulence in church. And that's sad for Daniel Jones because maybe he can play. But he didn't do all that much at Duke. And the arguments that he didn't have a whole lot around him, well, he also wasn't recruited by top-level schools to play starting quarterback. Doesn't mean that you can't evolve into the position. Tennessee basketball can prove to you that you might not have been highly recruited, but you're still pretty good, and you've got a chance to play on the next level. This is not to say that Daniel Jones is a scrub. But there are people that are arguing, hey, that dude's an athlete. He ran for over 180 yards last year in one of the games. I don't know how much that matters if he can't throw from the pocket. He doesn't have a strong arm. He's not particularly accurate. He kind of came from nowhere. And now, Dave Gettleman is out here saying that there were two teams that were going to snatch up Daniel Jones, so he had to take him at 6. He couldn't wait until 17, where he ended up taking Dexter Lawrence. Problem is, there's no teams out there that seem to want to put their name behind the fact that that was true. Problem for Dave Gettleman is, it sounds like, He got outsmarted by the Washington Redskins into thinking that Daniel Snyder wanted Daniel Jones when it was very clear to most of us that they wanted Dwayne Haskins from the get-go. 
a kid from D.C. that had a history with Daniel Snyder. And so Dave Gettleman has a chance to prove everybody wrong, but he seems to be the guy that wants to be the smartest man in the room. And there are bad takes and there are bad opinions and there are just bad moments for everybody in this life. I know I have had some. I'm sure I will have many more if I'm blessed enough to do this for long enough. But even if Daniel Jones pans out, there are still going to be some that say, yeah, you still could have gotten him at 17. Now, if he turns out to win four Super Bowls, great. But this seems to be a position where he can sit. There was that, you know, I see a scenario where Daniel Jones could sit for three years. What? Does that mean you have a scenario where Eli Manning's playing quarterback for the New York Giants for three years? Because that's ridiculous. I could see a scenario where Daniel Jones is sitting for three years as well. Dan Orlovsky tweeted out, and he said this on television this week. Dan Orlovsky, who's been on this radio station many times, very adept at the way he evaluates the quarterback position. He said, he asked a question. He said, How many guys that are one year wonders basically in college? Now, Daniel Jones was not a one year wonder in that he has started for more than a year, but no one cared about Daniel Jones until late in this season, really. How many guys who were just average passers in college, not standout elite quarterbacks, your baseline sort of mediocre level guys that didn't do anything of particular import? on that level. How many of those guys have then gone to the NFL and gotten demonstrably better? The only example people go to is Phil Sims. Not as if Phil Sims is a recent example. That's the only one. The chances that this is going to work out are astronomically against him if you look at every fact and every analytic. And yes, he could be the aberration, but you took the number six pick in the draft on an aberration. Yes, Dave Gettleman knows a lot about football. I could be proven 100% wrong, as could everybody else who disagrees with this pick. And yeah, there are some that are upset because they were wrong about this and they didn't think he was going to go this high, so there's a pride factor here as well. But I'm telling you, this is a bet that has nothing backing it. Like, this is just pure roulette betting that Daniel Jones is going to be able to do this. Because, again, Phil Sims is really the only example of someone that's pulled it off. There have been arguments that Steve Young is one of them. Steve Young was great at BYU. Daniel Jones was a guy no one had ever even heard of, no one was paying attention to in the conference, and now all of a sudden he's the number 6 pick, and after being fairly average in college, he's now going to become a superstar in the NFL. The chances of that, ladies and gentlemen, are not very good. That right there, the way I just said that, that's analysis for you. Not very good. My analysis is fine. But that's just, it's just, the cards are not there for him. Not rooting against him. In fact, rooting for him. Because you kind of feel sorry for him. Yeah, he's the number six pick. Going to the second toughest media market you could possibly go to in this scenario. Where he'll get booed if he throws two incompletions. Once he gets in the game. When is he going to get in the game? This is tailor-made for Eli to still hold control over this franchise, that he should have probably, when they benched him a couple of years ago, that was a good decision. He's got nothing left. But now he's got a longer rope, potentially, because Daniel Jones ain't ready to take the helm of the Giants. At least I don't think so. Do you? We'll be right back to finish up the program. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Get The Zone on your phone. 
Download the Zone app at 1045thezone.com. Final segment of the program today, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Thank you for joining me. As always, we're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Yes, I am still presented by Pollen. My voice is, I don't know, is it worse than yesterday? I have no idea. I'm getting sort of conflicting glances from the glass today. Ryan Mudd spinning the Dallas radio style for me, doing a great job, as always. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I want to talk some pop culture with you. As you know, I write for the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. host the Pop Six weekly. We're going to be finishing up our office deep dive. That episode should be out tomorrow, unless my voice is not going to allow it, which it's possible that that's going to be the case. But we're going to get there, and then next week... We're going to start looking into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in great detail. Looking very forward to doing that. And that kind of gets me to where I wanted to go today. I want to talk about landing the plane. And it's something I mentioned on Monday at the end of the show. When comparing, and I put up that poll about how do you like your Starks. Residing in Winterfell or residing in Avengers Tower. As you've got Tony and Howard and the crew with the Avengers. And you've got, in the Marvel Universe of course. And you've got Ned and the crew in Winterfell. And Game of Thrones. And I said that the difference between those two things, the reason I thought that the Avengers was a superior product to this Battle of Winterfell in the Longest Night episode, which was actually the second lowest critically scored episode in the history of the series. And I would tend to agree with that. After the episode, I tweeted out just one period, and people were like, ah, I get it, speechless. Now, I really just didn't have an opinion, because a lot of it you couldn't see, because it was muddied with compression via TV. And there was just there were a lot of narrative issues with the episode as a whole. And so landing the plane is something that we talk about or something that, that I've talked about with various hosts and things like that in radio as well. It's like land the plane when you're asking a question to a guest. Don't sit there and give them an essay. So when it comes to pop culture, we talked a lot about Game of Thrones and Avengers on Monday. Or not a lot, but I finished off the show talking about how one landed the plane and one didn't. The Battle of Winterfell, The Longest Night, was actually the second lowest critically reviewed episode of Game of Thrones to date. And it was the one that had maybe the most hype going in, or certainly among the most hype of any episode of that show that we have seen. I think there's something to be said for landing the plane in pop culture. When you think of the things that you like, how many of them had bad endings when it comes to books or movies or television shows? You might have enjoyed the experience on the way there, but were you satisfied by the ending or completely let down by it? And so think about those things. How I Met Your Mother had one premise. Kristen Milioti became such a likable character once we finally met her that the Robin thing lost all its import. But that's where they had written themselves. That was a corner they had written themselves into originally on the show from the very beginning of the pilot. And they had managed to make both Ted and Robin incredibly like, unlikable rather, in the seasons before you got to the end. The Office which we're doing on the Pop 6 and finishing up right now, should have ended in the airport with Pam and Michael Scott, with Michael Scott taking off the mic and handing it to the documentary crew, kind of coming full circle. That's what the show was. It was a documentary. You forget that a lot of the times. Well, here you have a conversation between two characters that have come so far, together and individually, and it's off mic, and we don't even need to hear the words. We know what's being said between those two characters. 
The Shield, widely regarded as the greatest dramatic series finale of all time, with Vic Mackey looking through the window of the desk job and realizing what he had lost as he hears the sirens and knows what he's never going to have again, and how many people he had lost along the way as well, destroying his marriage and everything else. Six Feet Under, another show that just ended brilliantly and is highly regarded. Deadwood's about to have another movie that's going to be able to potentially change the ending of its show. A show that tragically didn't run as long as maybe it could have. It's a show that I loved that I can't watch anymore because the language is just too much for me. But Game of Thrones is a show that wants to end strong. Watching the first two episodes of this season, I thought, okay, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the two people, the two showrunners of the television adaptation, they want to make sure that the lasting impression of this show is good and that the lasting impression is the last impression. So they are backloading the heck out of this final season. So when you get to this episode and you've been building to this potential battle between the White Walkers and the humans, it was dispatched relatively quickly. And I'll just leave it at that. And so people thought, okay, well, that was too easy. It was too convenient. Some believe the same thing about Breaking Bad. I liked the series finale of Breaking Bad, but it was almost a happy ending for a show that was anything but. Had it ended a couple of episodes before, the episode titled Ozymandias, which was not a happy ending at all, that was a perfect series finale, but I think that the way that they ended it was very good as well. Another AMC Mad Men, another AMC show, they got it wrong in the eyes of many with doing the Coke advertisement. Some people liked it. I actually tended to like it, even though I thought a lot of the last season left a lot to be desired. Most shows go too long. Game of Thrones has been on for a long time. It has out, it's gone past the books. Now they diverge from George R.R. R. Martin's original story at times as well, actually a lot of times, but now they're past the books. The books don't have an ending. They may never have an ending. He may never get it written. He is aging very quickly. So they had to make the decisions that they had to make. And I think that their decision is, just like The Walking Dead, just like many other shows throughout pop culture, it's not about what you think it's about. It's about the human condition and the fact that humans are the real monsters in this world. And so you create things like Zombies in The Walking Dead by Robert Kirkman, the original comic, or certainly the television adaptation as well that he is widely associated with. And it's never been about the zombies. The zombies are a set piece that drive the humans to show their true colors to one another. Just like the wires, not really about drugs. Drugs are a large part of it, but it's really about people. All of these shows are in some way, shape, or form about people. So all the humans needed to unify against the White Walkers. And it felt like that was going to be the epic confrontation coming down the stretch. You thought that that... We thought that forever because eventually they're going to win out. We're sitting here worried about who's on the Iron Throne. There's not going to be an Iron Throne because the White Walkers are going to be on it at the end. But really and truly, this show was about to end with humans versus humans jockeying for power. And that's what the whole show has been about. It's about what will this person do to this other person in order to increase status or to sit on the Iron Throne or to punish their enemies. They're the real monsters, not the ones with the blue eyes, not the ones that raise their arms and raise the dead. And so that's what we're seeing. And so I want you to I want to caution you real quickly on the way out the door. I think people thought this was the end because it felt like it was. So now they're underwhelmed and they're, well, I don't care about the rest of the series. I am going to go on record right now and tell you 
that the next three episodes, in particular the final two, are going to be immensely satisfying because they have just lulled you to sleep and now they're about to actually land this plane. They might have almost careened it into a mountain five or six times on the way there. But they're going to pull this off. And so you need to pay attention to it. Just like The Office went two seasons too long, like I just told you, they still got that finale right. That finale was tremendous. If you haven't seen it and you bailed after Carell left, go back and at least watch the finale. Game of Thrones, I would be stunned if their last two episodes, and they have three, so maybe all three of them, but especially the last two, aren't really, really good. There's a reason why they did what they did on Sunday and got it out of the way. And if you want one prediction, that character that played the pivotal role on Sunday in that episode, there's no way that character is alive at the end of this show. That character can go away now. That character was a hero, and yeah, but this show doesn't end in triumph, nor should it. My show? I guess it does end in triumph from time to time. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll be on Outkick the Coverage with Jonas Knox tomorrow morning as well. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.